0: The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Atatū. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. God in the humble place is our uh, focus today. So I do want to acknowledge you, if you've ever heard me speak before, I normally bring messages of hope, and I'm often upbeat, you know, and I kind of skip through life, and I, I'm I'm gonna be like that today. But I'm I'm I you know I just need to acknowledge a heavy heart. You know, I don't want to kind of jump me through my little message that I prepared before that before these things happened, and I don't I don't want to appear like I'm just not having it in my heart, you know, if you get my, what I'm saying. So I've got a heavy heart, but man, I've got some good news. I've got such good news. This God in the humble place. This I don't want us to lose, even with our heavy hearts, I don't want us to lose the wonder of what the story is about. This is this split history. This is the most incredible thing that has ever happened in history, bar none. Nothing will ever come close to what we're going to talk about today. If that's a big build-up, that puts me under pressure to deliver something of of meaning. But if, this is massive, absolutely massive. So um, I've got a question for you. If you, or actually, I've got a few questions for you. You don't. This is rhetorical. That's a word that means you don't need to answer them. You can just contemplate. Because um, you might not want to say this out loud. Um, you You might not want to answer this question out loud. Have you ever had a serious argument with someone that broke a relationship? Has someone done something to you that breached your trust and resulted in a broken relationship? Have you ever done or said something to someone which caused you to fall out with them and you haven't spoken since? Might be true for some. Might not be true for some. I was once given <clears throat> some advice. I was just about to get married, and you know, when you're just about to get married, people, like I think you're talking about, they don't—they've got the answers for you. They've got all the answers or opinions about what you're about to do. I was given some advice about how to repair broken relationships caused by words or actions in the context of marriage, and you know, I have never ever forgotten this piece of advice and it is i believe it is great advice and to this day i believe it's great advice and i hopefully i checked in with hannah yesterday and said i was going to share this just so it wouldn't shock her that i'd share this advice about how i I should repair relationships and marriage and she'll go what (laughs) you've never done that (laughs) yeah so i checked in with her but this this was the advice i got this so this is in the context of marriage. And this, um, he was my pastor at the time. And he said, if there is a breakdown in the relationship, he said, Michael, always be the first to apologize. And I kind of went, oh, okay. He said, no matter what, you be the first to apologize. And I'm, you know, you know where you're probably going thinking. And,. Because he said, you will always find something, no matter what, you will always find something in the conflict, and the breakdown of that relationship, you will always find something that you can apologize for. So looking back on that advice, I'm kind of thinking, well, why was that such good advice? And I kind of looked at it and kind of analyzed it, which I hadn't probably done before in such depth. It was, this is good advice because above all things, I wanted the relationship to be repaired, that's why that's good advice. Above all things I wanted the relationship to be prepared. Above the hurt feelings, the insults, the injustice, the poor decisions, the failed good intentions, the misunderstandings, the miscommunication, the loss of dignity, the bruised ego, the silence, whatever is going on in that broken relationship, whatever's happened, above all things. I placed the restored relationship as the number one priority. That was the number one priority, to restore the relationship. And for, for me, that, it, it resonated because my love for my, I love my wife so much that, I'm going to get all emotional, and I won't look over there. I love her, I'll, I'll tell the Christmas tree. <laughs> I love her so much that I can't bear not to be in a relationship with her. And that, that is the motivation behind the apology the, the, of taking that first move. To be the one to take the first step in the repair of that relationship is love. My love for her and the, and the love I have for our relationship. So no matter whose fault it is, if it's mine, if it's hers, or both, the key is to go first. That was my role. To make the first approach, to start the repair, to show how much I loved her and our relationship. So taking the first steps, that actually takes quite a bit of humility. Speaking as a bloke, that takes a huge amount of humility. It's a choice of action that does not come from a point of weakness. It comes from a place of strength. You are choosing a humble approach because you cherish the relationship and its repair. So your humble approach will start that repair journey, and more than that, it can even dismantle defences that would have hindered the process of that repair, Your humble approach to resolution can help bring the other, if they are willing, to make their move in the repair process. So the plan, I say the plan, the plan is you go first and you go humble. That was good advice, very good advice. In contrast, have you ever noticed how people respond if you're having an argument, Have you ever noticed, if you ditch the humble approach and you take your ego with you, have you ever noticed how well that goes? Have you ever ever noticed if you start with something like, well, you started it? How about, um, look, if you were right, I'd agree with you. Or how about if you start listing where they went wrong or um, giving them advice on how they could do better to avoid these situations next time? Uh, or how about taking, even taking an aggressive tone to emphasise how serious you are about it? Or how about demanding you get your way? Have you ever tried some of those in an argument? How well has that gone? I'm going to recommend the humble approach. I'm going to recommend parking the ego. When from a point of strength, you demonstrate your love for the other, you treat them with dignity, and you demonstrate that your priority is to repair the relationship, not to get their compliance. It's the relationship you care about, not the argument. It's the relationship. So it's a good plan. It is a good plan in relationship repair to be motivated by the love, make the first move, and do it humbly. I know it's a good plan because it's based on a perfect plan, which was first demonstrated by God over 2,000 years ago, when he sent his son to repair our relationship with him. He sent a vulnerable baby, not an all-conquering king on a white stallion, he sent a little baby boy. diving into Philippians 2, we're going to come back to it later, Christ Jesus, who as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. He came as a little baby. And I've talked about this before, but can we just, for a little minute, pause and just think about that? A little bit. You, know, you know how, like I was saying, that when you make the first approach, when you're trying to repair a relationship, if you come humbly and lay it before people, it can disarm them. It can just go, oh, isn't that what a baby does? I used to think kids are annoying. I'd go into the supermarket, and I was there to do my shopping, and these little rugrats were running around having tatties or doing what little kids do, and I used to go, oh. Where are the parents? We're the parents. And then, with my wife's help, I had some of those little regrets. <laughs> my heart just changed. I went, oh, look at those little guys. <laughs> oh, I know they're being naughty, but aren't they cute? <laughs> I completely changed to my attitude towards them. A vulnerable a baby is so some dis- Could you imagine if you had it? I think Mary had her head around it kind of. She was treasuring the moments in her heart. I don't know if Joseph had his head round it. We, We never really hear about that much. But could you imagine that the son of God was in a baby? That baby's the son of God. A little, helpless, cute, little, gurgly, crying baby. You could look into that baby's eyes, which I love. I love, I've talked about this before. I love baby's eyes. How milky, the white. Their eyes are just gorgeous. This was the son of God. Could you imagine just stroking that cheek? The son of God. That's amazing. I I try and not lose that wonderment that he came in the form of a baby and how kind of disarming that was. It was just, there it is. And I'm also amazed too, I kind of get to thinking about, wow, so there he is, the son of God. How vulnerable is that baby, really? What if someone tried to kill it? And that happened. The current king of the day was a bit paranoid, found out from the wise men. This is, as Brian alluded to, I think, last week. This was a few months, quite a few months later from the birth. But he found out that there was this other king arriving in town. Well, that can't happen. So let's go find that king and try and kill him. And so in a dream, the parents were warned that this was going to happen. And oi, get out of there. You kind of think, hang on a minute, this is the son of God. I know he's a little baby, but it's the Son of God. No one's going to rock up to the Son of God and kill them. What do you mean that they have to run to a different country? That, that for me kind of was, wow. So is that how vulnerable the baby really was? As a baby, the Son of God was still vulnerable, that his parents had to take him away when there was a threat. I thought, that's just, that's just an interesting thought to think about. That could someone have actually laid a hand on that child? don't know. That's one of those mysteries I think Renee was talking about. We don't really know. But I tell you what, what happened later, as that little baby grew up into a young man, when his ministry started, he was he went out into the desert and he got baptized by John the Baptist. It says in Matthew 3, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. He saw this, and John saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Alighting on Jesus, and a voice from heaven said, "This is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased." Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And if you know that, if you know the story, the devil put a whole lot of scenarios to him. And he said, "Come on, if you're the son of God, turn these stones to bread." And Jesus went, "No, nah, not happening." Quote a scripture. Satan said, okay, let's go to this really high place. we go up high on the temple. And Satan said, throw yourself down. It says in Scripture that God's angels would save you. And Jesus said, no, nah, not going to happen. You never test your Father God. And again, Satan said, look, I'm going to give you the whole world. I can give you the whole world. This all belongs to me if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, no, nah, not going to happen. I'm only going to worship my Father. So as a, as a grown man... He had the Holy Spirit now. He could look after himself. He was the fully son of God the whole time when he came to earth. Later on, people tried to kill him again. They had tried to kill him. It said in Luke, he was, he was preaching, and the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard him preach. They got up and they drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built. So they took him, they laid a hand on him, they took him and they were going to throw him off a cliff. But scripture says, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Miraculous. Now, the Son of God, as a man with the Holy Spirit, he can do stuff. He didn't need his parents anymore. He was the fully the Son of God. He could just move through a crowd and disperse. And Later, later um, again, Jesus was preaching to them. And he said to the Jewish leaders, Very truly I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Alluding to the fact that he was God. And at this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Again, son of God. Later in John, we tell them that they, they tried to, again, when he was teaching, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp the Son of God in the garden before his death. Men stepped forward. They seized Jesus and they arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. And Jesus said, put your sword back in its place for all who draw the sword will die with the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Fully son of God, from a position of strength. He could call for his father, and angels would come and rescue that situation. He had all that power... In his ministry, he was still the full son of God. He could call on angels to come and rescue him. What a tremendous position to be in, having that power as the son of God and yet choosing not to, from a position of strength. And then for me, a clincher showing that position was on the cross, In Matthew 27, it says, Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, why don't you save yourself? Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. And man, I know if that was me, that would be it. I've done it. Okay, people were grabbing me, people were going to try and stone me, all this sort of thing was going on. But that would have been it. That would have been the breaking point when someone said, you know, Well, you said you're so good, but now you're up there, you're not even saving yourself. Why don't you come down and save yourself? He could have called down angels. He could have dropped those people dead on the spot. But there he was, on the cross, in a position, a strong position, with all the power in the heavens at his disposal, and he chose humility. He chose his love for us. His love for the relationship, not to win the battle, not to have a little, you know, go at someone. He chose the love for us, his love for the relationship. From a position of strength, he humbly stuck to the task at hand. Jesus was on a mission. All those times he was under threat, he was on a mission to repair the relationship with the overriding motivation being love. John 3, 16, a famous verse. But the verse after it is just as important. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's what his mission was, to save the world through him. That's how much He loves us. It seems from Scripture that the relationship between the Creator and His created is absolutely precious to Him. We were made in His image back in the day. Genesis 1, we've covered it this year. No, year before. We are in Genesis 1. It was a while ago. In Genesis 1, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We were made to be like that. John 17. This is how precious the relationship, God's relationship with us, is to him. This is Jesus' prayer for us. Jesus was praying to his Father, saying about us, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I also have given to them, so they may be one, just as we are one. That's this relationship. I in them you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and you love them just as you love me. That's how precious that relationship is to him. So there it is, the perfect plan, the absolute perfect plan, That's what you call a pause. The perfect plan. Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Now in those days, this is from Luke 2, Luke 2 verses 1 to 7. Now in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria and all the people on their way to register for the census, each to his own city. Now Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. So there it is, a little baby lying in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. Hardly a way for the Son of God to come to earth. But if it's all about relationship, if it's all about coming in humility in the humble place, that's how you do it. If you want to disarm the defences that people might put up, here I am as a baby. This is my love for you. Demonstrated. So why don't we use this template to bring people into the kingdom? It's all about relationship. Remember, was it Conrad? Is that you? Yeah, Conrad was here a couple of weeks ago from Australia. And he he shared about, like he was reflecting back on kind of evangelism and all the different ways to do it and all what he'd seen over the years. And he kind of said that he'd kind of come to a conclusion that the most important thing was the relationship, restoring the relationship between God and his people. And I think that is a great template because it's based on exactly what God did by sending a baby Jesus. Restoring relationships is so important when you're telling people about Coming into the kingdom of God. It's restoring that relationship between them and their Creator, not telling them what rules they're breaking. We're motivated by love, we make the first move, and we do it humbly. Love and humility, that is the best way to restore relationships. I think so often we can focus on winning arguments. And I I really struggle sometimes, I often take the high moral ground with people and say that this is how you should be living, you're doing it wrong, telling them what to do, but to focus on the healing, the the restoration of the relationship between them and their creator, all the rest will follow behind. All the behavioural things will follow behind. If we just jump back into Philippians 2 again, if we take the first part of the verse... Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of God of men. So let's tell people about this perfect plan, this perfect plan to restore relationship. Motivated by love, God made the first move. He didn't want heaven without us. He sent his only son to earth in the form of a baby boy. Humbly he came to the Earth he created, all for love's sake, became poor. From a position of power and strength, he laid it all down and said, "This is how much I love you. And this is how much I cherish our relationship. Your move. God's interperfect plans. It's only in hindsight that we see how good He is. Looking back on that day, on the plan, we realise more than ever that He is perfect in all of His ways. Thank you for listening to this message from The Chapel in Atatū. For more information about The Chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz. Dot nz.